I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. And welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, genres, and franchises that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Good. And welcome to part two of our journey through the Star Wars saga. We are watching the Star Wars prequel trilogy, episodes one, two, and three. And this was the trilogy I was like most unsure about how I would feel coming back to them. Because you look back on it and the general public opinion has shifted heavily in the last, I would say, 10 years. Because when these movies came out, they were roasted to high hell and back. But ever since, like, our generation kind of grew up from kids into teenagers and adults, we've learned to respect these movies a lot more. And our nostalgia power, I think, is a lot stronger now. And the nostalgia balanced with, I don't know, a more critical movie-watching ability it's uh you kind of get a different there's just a whole new perspective on these movies i came to the conclusion that uh these are my least favorite set in terms of plot but my favorite in terms of visuals and aesthetic okay because the planets Uh, are very pretty yes Um, not the the fighting don't don't get that twisted. Not not the graphics, like the planets and the clothing. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the designs had merit. Um, episode one had a lot of roughness. And we're going to break down each one movie by movie. Uh, and so we can just start with episode one, The Phantom Menace. And I'm going to tell you, ooh, some of these graphics are rough. And on Disney+, Plus they have the remastered versions. So, like... They really gave it their all. And so this is like 2010 graphics. And even back then, it's kind of like, oh, man, they're not giving us a lot to work with here. So, like, the droids look a lot better. Uh, Jar Jar Binks looks a lot better. And so, like, the movie kind of holds its own graphically because it has been remastered. The one thing that does not hold up, I will say, is the planet of Naboo looks like a Windows XP desktop wallpaper. Sometimes, yes. Just like green, just like fields of blank green with brown ships strolling across it. I'm like, okay, this this could have been a little better. Like when they're in the forests and it's like practical set design, that's fine. But whenever they do like panning shots and it's just blank green, I'm like, this, this could have used a touch-up. I definitely agree. (laughs) So you mentioned how this is like your least favorite in terms, or not necessarily your favorite in terms of plot. And I think the reason for that is, at least in the first, in Phantom Menace, is the stakes are so much lower in this movie than anything Star Wars has done up to this point. Yeah, it definitely doesn't pick up until the third one. (laughs) Yeah, so... Episodes four, five, and six, it's about starting and thriving in a, in a rebellion, trying to squash a dictatorship, right? And then in episode one, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a meme within the Star Wars community, but the fact that the main 
plot of episode one has to do with trade blockades. You're like, what are we doing here, guys? <clears throat> it's definitely... I forgot where I was going with that, so carry on. <laughs> and you get characters like Newt Gunray, who say a lot of words, most of which are not important. Yeah, there's a lot of characters that you're just like, okay, next. You're just saying <laughs> words. Newt Gunray is like that. A lot of the senators are like that. And just the general idea of... Queen Amidala needing to be moved off planet so she can't sign a treaty feels like it's very political espionage that just doesn't feel engaging, right? Like, because when they're moving her, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan carry enough power between the two of them to where what they're doing feels important. But then when they break it down, it's like, ah, yes, it's to sign a treaty in Naboo. You're like, okay, well, this got a lot less cool. Very fast. A lot less cool. Very, very fast. I did like uh, seeing, re-seeing, I guess. It's been a very, very long time since I've watched these uh, C-3PO's origins. Yes. Just seeing him in that, that always gave me anxiety as a kid. Just seeing him without the plates and all the exposed wires on Tatooine of all places. I'm like, that can't be good for you. That has to be, that has to be so bad for your just general shtees. He was probably just as stressed out as you were. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Also, I always forget just how big they made the age gap between Padme and Anakin. Look. It's wild. It's kind of wild. Cause like, even if she's like, cause she's supposed to be the youngest queen of Naboo, right? Yeah. She mentions that several times, but even then, if you think that she's like, I don't know, 16 or 18, it's like, it's still weird. It feels weird. They may, it's like, she's literally just supposed to be five years older than him, but they made it seem like such this drastic age difference in this one to where by the second one you're like wait this doesn't make sense because there's also a level of maturity between the two of them where even so queen amidala you know 15 16 she's she still carries herself with such a regal nobility that the fact that she would ever fall for the child that anakin was it seems outlandish and then you get to episode two and they say a lot. It's been 10 years since we've seen each other, implying that, you know, he's 20 and she's 25. And as someone who is not even 25, dating a brash 20-year-old like that no feels thanks. outside of my realm of sensibility. Yeah, that would that would have to be a, a, a rare situation. <laughs> yeah, like you would really have to sell me on that. Ew, so just like I don't like watching their interactions in the Phantom Menace and being and knowing what comes next. It's like it, it's it sets a really weird tone in this one. I definitely agree. Uh, so I want to go back to the opening of Phantom Menace and <laughs> the fact that this movie starts with political discussions is not great. It's a really bad way to open the movie, but. Yeah, kind of. The movie kind of brings you in a little bit when they fill the room with smoke and Obi Wan and Qui Gon do the <laughs> like they 
brandish their lightsabers through the smoke. And you're like, all right, this is cool. All right, this, here this, we go. This is cool. Let's roll. Let's go, girls. That's how it felt. Yeah. <laughs> I will definitely say that uh, slowly through all of these, they slowly did get better at the graphics. Still not as good yes. as the sequels, but they're better than the others. <laughs> I was I was actually really disappointed that we didn't get to see Puppet Yoda in in this yeah. one. In the remastered version of Episode One, they replaced Puppet Yoda with a CG Yoda model, which like isn't difficult to do because puppets are pretty stationary. But I wanted to see. But Puppet if Yoda. you, I hot. I highly recommend you look up the episode one Yoda puppet. It is straight up disturbing. Yeah. (laughs) Because they made, from what I understand, they made a puppet very similar to the one from episode to the, from the original trilogy, but they didn't, they underestimated how the new cameras would pick up the details. So they made this old wrinkly demon gremlin looking Yoda. (laughs) And when they got the footage back, they're just like, well, we don't like this, but we're a little too committed at this point. We can't, we can't go back now. We have to see it through. And there's a really cool documentary. I might have mentioned it last time, but there's a really cool documentary of them transitioning from from Puppet Yoda to CG Yoda. And if you look at the un like the original versions of CG Yoda, it doesn't hold up. It's it's you know 2001 technology. Um, but I think I think it was for the better because if you look through that documentary, you see like. It's easy to forget when you're watching the finished product how much detail had to go into computer-generated effects back then. Right. And when you wanted it, you had to really want it. And the documentary does a really good job at showcasing, like, the Yoda CG model did not just, like, it's not like they just made a rough draft and that's what they put through. Like, George Lucas went through several test versions of this CG model and they had dozens of meetings about each individual strand of hair about each like facial expression, each movement. And you're like, maybe it didn't like you look at that documentary and you're like, what Yoda originally was, was truly a limitation of the technology at the time. Because if the 2011 remaster Yoda looks fine, dare I say he looks good. But, you know, that's not what they had when the movies came out. They had to work with what they had, and with what they had, they did it pretty all right. Yeah, all things can... Yeah, it could be a lot worse. Um, The pacing of the beginning of this movie is whack. It is whack. Because I forgot how quickly they go through Naboo and get to Tatooine. Because, like, they go to the Gungan City in, like, 15 minutes. So they do, like, the trade negotiations, the failed negotiations, the war on Naboo, finding Jar Jar, saving Jar Jar, and then him taking them to the sacred ne- the sacred Gungan city in 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, guys, hold on. We could use, whoa, hold on. <laughs> we're, we're going too fast here. I need to find my bearings. And Jar, listen, let's talk about Jar Jar. We need to talk about Jar Jar. Oh, Jar Jar. I did not find him as annoying as I thought I was going to no. this time around. Here's the problem. 
Jar Jar is the comedic relief character, right? So he is in the center of all the comedy in this movie. It's just that the comedy sucked. (laughs) Yeah. The The comedy was not funny. So his speech pattern was not like it was listenable. It wasn't super annoying. It's just that all the fart jokes and the gross out humor, like, I just wasn't feeling it. It felt so when very Jar- childish. It did, yeah. And Star Wars, at their hearts, are always in part kids' movies. So I'm not, I'm not trying to write it up that much for that. So like when Jar Jar was genuinely contributing to the cast of characters. He was fine. He was a little annoying, but I was able to put up with him. Boss Nass, on the other hand, disgusting. Disgusting. Could could not handle him. Not a fan. Um, I uh, do you want to do the Boss Nass imp- impression that you that you can do? I can't do a Boss Nass impression. We went over this. Not with that attitude. You do it then. No, I asked you. No, I just told you no, and so now you have to do it. You brought it up. That's not how that works. That is at how that all. works. That is. I'm declaring that it is, and I rule over all. So, that's a really bold flag to plant in the ground. Well, at least you. Maybe not all, but <laughs> okay. Okay, I think I have to take off everything because the way I shake my head, it would cause my headphones and my glasses to fall. And God, editing this, I'm gonna feel so embarrassed. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I I hate this. I hate that I'm doing this. See, now I took my headphones off and I can hear myself better, which means I can only hear. I'm only going to be able to hear me do this. And now I'm hyping this up and I don't think it's going to be that funny. Well. <laughs> amazing. That, one, that, that was amazing. That, I felt my brain <laughs> shake inside my head. You woke yourself right up there. I don't. I, I don't know if that's what I would call what happened. I'm a little dizzier now. Gain your bearings, gain your bearings. And while you do that, I will talk about how it's insane to me that they were trying to kill a 10-year-old while they were racing. And they were like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this is a 10-year-old. You're taking this race a little serious. Like, not even disable your pod? Murder. Just murder, straight up, crash and die. I will say, on that hand, Anakin himself was a little too cool with killing the other pod racers as well. Okay, yeah. Clearly, his motive was more, I just want to make sure their pods are disabled. But when you take off one of the two engines and pods are very clearly, like, stabilized by both engines... One plus one equals two, Annie. Come on. Come on, Annie. Get it together. But Sebulba is gross. Disgusting. <laughs> Ethically and visually. Absolutely. I was like, whoa. Okay, we're just going to threaten a child over a race? I was on I was on Annie's mom's side in that one. I was like, you do not need to be involved in this. Definitely. Uh, Greg Proops made an amazing pod racing an- announcer. I love him. Yes. Loved it. And also, why can I not remember his name? The the slave owner's name. What's his name? G- G- the incredibly racist Jewish stereotype. What's his name? I don't know. I'm trying to think. 
Ow. Also, just like in general, um, this is these prequel movies are not without their problems. Watto, yeah. Um, cause you get like I don't know what accent Newt Gunray was doing, but it did not feel good listening to that. No, not even slightly. Same. Same with Watto. It's just like these two characters definitely come from an intense stereotype and it's Star Wars. We got to accept it for what it is. We don't have to be comfy with it. We just have to understand. Yikes. Yeah, there's definitely Um, some characters that uh, do not hold up. And... Like, talk about Watto not having any faith in his own slave. Like, my guy, this is your dude. Have at least a little bit of faith. Like, jeesh. <laughs> it's the fact that Qui-Gon kept adding more to the bet, and Watto's just like, sure, my kid sucks. Why not? There, Qui-Gon bet so much on Anakin that they had deleted scenes of Qui-Gon betting more on Anakin. <laughs> And all of this is just, like, based on Watto's pure lack of faith on his own slave. Like, Watto, my man, what, what, why even have him? Exactly. Like, what is the, if you're not going to have any faith in him and you're going to be like, yeah, he sucks. Why? Why? Um, the pod racing scene is genuinely fun. Yes. Like, it is, I would say, probably the most different scene in at least this movie because... At the end of the day, Star Wars has a lot of ship, just like spaceship scenes. And you could argue that pod racing is just a variation on spaceships. But the just the, the I would say, almost commercialization of it, seeing it used as a betting ground, it, it's a very different scene for Star Wars up to this point. And we spend a long time here it's like the pod race is like 10 minutes it's a not it's a kind of long scene but it doesn't feel boring and it's like a genuinely engaging race yeah it definitely keeps you like at least somewhat on the edge of your seat for part of it and the tension is incredibly high through half of it so it keeps you engaged after you know all that time you just spent on really long exposition and just watching Sabalba murder pod racer after pod racer, you're just you kind you also get a sense of like like we said before like what whoa man it's hey I know this is your job and like a lot of bets are on this but oh my god it's a pod Come race down a little bit like let's chill have some fun with it yeah I think so uh you do your thing sorry I think part of me needs to accept that I'm just not the biggest Natalie Portman fan. Okay. Because... Yeah. Yeah. You get it. So, I would say her acting in this movie is below her best. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, there are... Sure. There are a couple, a handful of Natalie Portman movies where I'm like, yeah, I like that movie. You know, you got no strings attached. Um... You have Black Swan, where the heart lies. Those three solid. This performance, sweetie, was it the script or was it you? Either way, you got screwed over. I would say we'll we'll circle back on this in in a few minutes, but I think one and three bad performances. 
two is a much better performance. Yes. Because I think her character had more to do. But you bring up a good point, or this is a good transition into the whole Queen Amidala decoy subplot was one layer too deep. Yeah. Because as a kid, I did not get it. And as an adult, I'm like, I get it, but it sucks. I just like that they decided to use Kira Knightley because everybody does mix them up constantly. Kira Knightley's in this movie. She's one of the decoys. That's what I mean. They used her because yeah. they look so alike. So it's just, I did not like the decoy how they handled it because it was so supposed to be kind of like a plot twist. Like, oh my God, Padme is Queen Amidala. But we spend the whole movie with Padme. We have almost no interaction with Queen Amidala. So when it's revealed that Padme is Queen Amidala, it's just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I care more about her anyway. It's incredibly underwhelming for sure, the way they portrayed it. So, uh, yeah, I agree. And Natalie Portman portrayed Padme with a sense of elegancy anyway. So the leap from one to two was not very far. No, and I I will say on your comment of her best performance being two, um, I think it's because she was carrying a lot of weight since Hayden Christensen's side of the (laughs) script was real weak. (laughs) Ooh, it was rough. Yeah, like I said, we'll get into that that later. Um, I think that the Qui-Gon-Obi-Wan relationship is genuinely very sweet. Um, in general, I have a very... He- I, have, I am not a fan of most master-Padawan relationships portrayed in Star Wars. In general, nine times out of ten, the Jedi Master is too aggressive in their teaching towards their Padawan. And Obi-Wan is no exception. But Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have a very nice relationship. I think that Qui-Gon is genuinely tender. And I think he plays a very caring Jedi Master. Not just to Obi-Wan, but to the others around him. Like, when he first meets Anakin, and Anakin is like, Jedi Knights, are you here to save us? You can kind of tell in Qui-Gon's eyes that it's like, I'm not... But I really wish I was. I wish I was here to save you. He kind of has a lot more of a like a like a fatherly master role. Meanwhile, when Obi-Wan is the master, it's like, you know, he's like, we were brothers. So it's more of like a brotherly like I'm going to be way hard on you, but it's for your own benefit. But I'm also going to come off as a real big a-hole often. And then Yoda and Luke, it's just riddle after oh riddle after riddle i've expressed my do i have never been more disappointed than re-watching the original trilogy and realizing how not great of a master yoda was hey grasping for straws take this might be a hot take i understand why count dooku left <laughs> i get it like you look at the people that left the jedi council count dooku ahsoka Anakin, you're like, I get it a I, little. I, I kind of get I it. I kind of get it. I I see your perspective and I can't really, you know, can't say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
I I have a lot to say on this matter, and we'll and we'll we'll do. It. There's a lot to say in episode three yes. when it comes to the Jedi Council in general, because there's they're not in a lot of this movie. A lot of the Jedi Council is just kind of like referenced as like the destination. Like we need to get Queen Amidala to the council. We need to go to the council. There's stuff about. Uh, they have scenes in the Senate, but they're kind of in the background, not super important. You see Mace Windu, you see Senator Palpatine. You, uh, there are scenes where Senator Palpatine gets elected to Chancellorhood. It's almost to the point where he could have just been Chancellor. There is a there is a different Chancellor for so little of this movie. He almost should have just been Chancellor to start with. I yeah yeah I agree. Uh. Padme has to do uh, a lot of a, a lot of running. A lot of running, yeah. She, she <laughs> no matter what position she holds, she's always on the run. <laughs> um, I really liked. I genuinely liked the uh, Black Panther style dome fight between the droids and the Gungans. Yeah, like in general, I. Mm. Am I willing to say this? I think in the movies, I like the battle droids as enemy combatants more than I like stormtroopers. Yeah, that's 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 a valid take for sure. They have like there's there's more higher and harder stakes. Yeah, because there are moments where they even recognize like the droids don't have to be good. We have so many of them. We can literally drown them in battle droids. That's And so with the stakes that high of just like, they don't need to be good. There's just a lot of them. So it adds a different air. It's a sense of like overwhelming versus just like tactile war, guerrilla warfare. And isn't this like, the one where they kind of go into like which they i think they like change paths later on with their uh decision about what the force actually is and how to determine you're a jedi or whatever <laughs> so talking about the little bacteria and his blood or whatever yeah yeah so <laughs> they talk about midichlorians twice over the course of three movies uh, because they talk about the midichlorians when they test Anakin's blood and then they bring it up again in episode three. I forget exactly why. Um, yeah. And, and in the sequels, they shift from midichlorians to force sensitivity. Yeah. Like... And I think in general, they mean the same thing. It's just that people preferred force sensitivity because it was a lot less biological and true. It makes it more kinda, fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. Or I guess it makes it more fiction instead of science. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh my god, you just got in. You touched on a nerve. <laughs> that is a debate that I do not care about. A lot of people will say it's a space fantasy, not science fiction, because the movies don't try, or like the franchise doesn't try to explain anything with science. It's like the Force is more of a magic concept than a science con. I don't care. There are lasers. There are if lasers. If there's lasers, it's sci-fi. End of story. True. 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 <laughs> Can't debate that one. <laughs> uh, Darth Maul is really cool. So cool. So cool. 
and the fighting for- scenes with him just awesome. awesome it's awesome and <laughs> i get the the scene of him lighting up the one lightsaber and then lighting up the second one Chef's it's an iconic kiss. scene still slaps still slaps. still so good no like no matter how many times you see it just him lighting up that second lightsaber it's like oh you're in it now and i, I guess i forgot that i in my memory darth maul was a strong silent type he has dialogue in this movie yeah, everyone forgets about all that. his dialogue. What was that? Yeah, everyone forgets about all of his dialogue. Yeah, and so I was when I watched the Clone Wars TV show, I was like, "Wow, this guy talks a lot for a character that literally didn't talk at all." And then I watch it, I'm like, "Oh, he did talk. Maybe him talking is a little bit more justified. Maybe maybe he's a little less stoic in the TV show, but I'm going to say he has good reason to be less stoic." When you spend like a a year as a half robot spider, you're allowed to talk a little bit more. Truly. I also really liked um, when the one side of his lightsaber got like cut off and then he just didn't even miss a beat. He just kept going. He was like, I don't even need it. I got this shit. Yeah. And the scene where they're fighting on like the different um, catwalks. And they're going from, like, level to level. I genuinely enjoy Jedi acrobatics. I think that's one of my favorite force powers is the Jedi acrobatics. And that was just a very good showcase of that. See, nine out of ten times in Star Wars, if there is a fight on a catwalk, somebody's gonna die by the end of the fight. (laughs) Yeah, it does not go well most of the time. And I, I, I that room where Qui-Gon dies is just so iconic in my head. Just like that circular room with the pit and, yes. the, and the and the force and the force field walls. So that that segment is just like, oh, it's so cool. So I I think they got a lot of the Jedi stuff right in this movie. So it, that stuff is really cool. And because the stakes are so low, in general, the concept of like them not being soldiers but protectors of the peace is a lot more believable in this movie. Where you're just like, oh yeah, there's like a thousand of these guys and they kind of just roam about where they're needed. Exactly. It's not as intense as it gets later on. Although, I could have done with one less yippee from Anakin. Just yippee! in general. <laughs> Like, he does it, like, four times during the pod race. Oh, my God. And then that line, again, another memed online a lot where he goes, now this is pod racing. Now this no, is Anakin. pod racing. It's war. It's war. <laughs> that was a great bit. <laughs> I didn't even have to put anything into that one. I just lowered my voice. Um, Overall... This movie pleasantly surprised me. I was expecting this movie to be a slog, but there's enough in this movie to keep me engaged. And like I said, while the stakes aren't high, that's okay. It's the beginning of a trilogy. It doesn't have to be. So I think I give this a flat seven. See, this one, it was harder for me to stay engaged. So I think while I did... You know, I could appreciate it for what it was. And, you know, 
it was the beginning of a trilogy. I think it's a solid six for me. Okay, sure. Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. How do I start with Attack of the Clones? If I have to hear Obi-Wan say, control your thoughts, or any form of thought mentioning to Anakin, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna blow a gasket. (laughs) Because... He says, be mindful of your thoughts. That's the quote. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. A billion times in like the first act alone. I feel like if you need to remind somebody to keep their thoughts positive that much, they might already just be a lost cause. Yeah, they, oh man, they were banking on this chosen one so hard. And they were. And there are. There, were there are so lots many of points signs. along the way. Yeah. So this and this is kind of where we get to the, you know, Anakin and is grown up now. He's an adult. Padme looks the same because this movie was filmed two years later. <laughs> looks like she and, hasn't aged today. And this is where we get to that kind of like debate of is Hayden Christensen a bad actor? Or was the script just bad? I say both. <laughs> I say the script was bad because the second the, the, the second movie that he's in, the episode three, is quite a bit better. And then also, if you watch his other stuff, it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that this... he I think he's still getting his feet wet in terms of, like, how to be a Star Wars character. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. Star Wars, in general, is a very cartoony franchise. And so I think Hayden Christensen was overacting a lot. I think there are some moments that it's warranted. I think there are some genuinely nice scenes. And again, the scenes that get memed on, like, I don't like sand, it's coarse and it's rough, it gets everywhere. That's fine. It's really not that bad. No, it's not as bad as they make it out to be. It's just that, you know, there's some elevator dialogue and some of the flirting with Padme, it's oh god, that, that's the that's the rough stuff. So, whenever he would be like trying to give Padme like these like intense flirty looks, I was like, okay, are you trying to look flirty right now, or are you trying to look downright evil because you're towing the line? <laughs> yeah. And this is why I say this is Natalie Portman's best of the three, because first of all, her character just does more. Yes. Her character, this is the most important in terms of screen time Padme is. So she has a lot more room to work with and it pays off. I think she does a very good job at wanting Anakin, but knowing she shouldn't. You kind of get the hot and cold treatment from her, and I think it's very deserved. And it's just this is not a bad way to play Padme. I think I think episode two Padme is peak Padme. She's just playing hard to get. Yeah, and I would say for a justified reason. <laughs> Absolutely a justified reason. Now, <laughs> this scene has always frustrated me. It's the assassination attempt on. Padme. First of all, as a kid, I didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, I didn't understand why they took Padme to Naboo, why Anakin was with her. As a kid, Star Wars dialogue went right over my head. (laughs) If they had a conversation that was more than two sentences and it wasn't quippy, 
Checked out. I was just there for the uh, checked out. I was there for the lightsaber fights. <laughs> now it makes more sense. This movie makes sense. Um, so when they do the assassination attempt and they do like the poison worms Ugh. again, a scene that gives me so much anxiety because a yes. bugs gross, gross, and b b Anakin just jumps on her bed and like full sends those lightsaber swings. Like he's it does not the feel confidence. precise at all. He, he, exactly right. He goes in with one hundred percent confidence, and I'm like, my man, those bugs are the size of a quarter. You have to have some precision. I would take a little more time with that. And Padme, so chill about it. So chill. She's like, <laughs> she's just like, oh, I'm sorry. You swung a lightsaber next to my face twice while I was asleep. Thanks, I guess. Like, oh, I just woke up to this dude with his lightsaber out over top of me, breathing hard and worm guts all over my bedroom. Okay. All right, that's fine. Uh, and then we go, and then we get the speeder chase, which I think Ooh. embodies the pod race in that it is spaceship fun. You know, we have to suspend disbelief for this chase scene, but it's okay because they have fun with it. Yeah, I really like, like this this pod race scene or this racing scene. Uh, the chase scene, yeah. The the chase scene. The, sorry. Se- the scene that made me. I'm like, okay. I, I I have to acknowledge the suspension of disbelief here before we can move on, and it's when Anakin is like uh like like two hundred feet above the bounty hunter pod, and he just jumps off, falls, and lands on the bounty hunter pod as it's going by. I'm like, okay, okay. I know that there's a lot of like force sensing timing going on here, but this one. This one was a stretch. I'm okay with it, but let's acknowledge it. I don't think his training included that much physics. <laughs> it, yeah, that was a real mathematical move. And oh, him catching the bounty hunter and Ooh. and and the face like deforming. That that was creepy that as a kid. So it's creepy. creepy now. Gets under your skin because you're like, wait, what was that? And then at the end, you're like, ooh. Just the way it turns like skeletal, but still with flesh on top of it. Didn't like it. Was not a fan. I'm gonna butcher this name, so forgive me. But I do want to give props to Tamora Morrison for playing, you know, Jango Fett, the clones, and Boba Fett for the last twenty years. Like, shout out to him. Just genuinely, I think he does a really good, like the difference between Jango Fett here and Boba Fett in Book of Boba Fett is like, you see it, like you see the resemblance, but they're different. And and that's really cool. It's really cool to go back and like see just, you know, this young performance compared to a similar but not identical character 20 years later. I so agree. shout shout out shouts out, props props. Um, <laughs> I remember watching this movie at my grandma's house, and <laughs> we I I think we watched it on like TNT or whatever. We watched it on cable, and that's where I learned like the scummy commercial marketing that they do, where they show like twenty minutes of the movie 
then commercials, then 15 minutes of the movie, then commercials, then slowly less and less until you're watching like 90 seconds of a movie before it cuts to commercial break again. Like I remember the commercials coming in, they do the picnic scene on Naboo and then more commercials come in. (laughs) And I'm like, at like 10 years old, I'm like, this is a ripoff. What's going on? Yeah, I uh, don't think I could ever go back to regular like satellite or like cable TV because not having commercial breaks is so amazing. Here's the thing. I'm not against ads, right? If they lower the price of the thing I'm doing, I am a-okay with ads. Here's what we need, right? I think Peacock does it the best. I think Peacock genuinely does it the best because if you're watching a movie, they do three or four minutes of ads all at the beginning, Yeah, right? It's like 200 seconds of ads and then the movie. And I'm like, cool. I genuinely love that. And then if you watch TV, you know, the ad breaks are only like 30 seconds and the commercials vary. Exactly. It's not the same commercial over and over again. Now, CW, (laughs) you and I got beef because Peacock will do three or four commercial breaks. CW, you do like five and they're they feel longer than 30 seconds and they are the same five ads my guys the reason why i wait to watch superman and lois until it's on hbo max is because of you if you gave if you shortened if you tightened those commercial breaks i'd be watching that week to week and you know it hey they got to get their money somehow cuz they're obviously not getting it through their television shows <laughs> Oh my God. If you read any sort of financial document from the CW, you look at, you don't even need an economics degree. And you're just like, this well, is I bad. could have told you that. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, we're spending more money on our TV shows than we're bringing in. This is bad. And everyone's like, yeah, what did you expect? Maybe we should uh, stop or invest in some actual good actors because believe me there are some episodes of their shows that i have watched where i'm like were they in a rush did they need somebody last minute because how did they end up with somebody who is like borderline looking at the camera and looks like they're reading from a paper in front of them like they know they don't need to do 22 episodes per season anymore right like we kind of ditched that model like five or six years ago like you can just do like 16 if you want you could do 12 yeah if you want 12? that's okay sometimes some people only do like eight you know superman and lois is 10 episodes that's the best cw show that they've made in half a decade do that do that do that go with what works not with what you're used to So the point I was trying to make is I watched this at my grandparents' house. And there's when Obi-Wan goes to Moss Eisley to um, talk to Dex about the poison dart. I remember that because I had watched the movie before. And I remember that Dex says the word damn in that conversation. Ooh, a curse word. So I exited the room. As soon as that scene started, and I remember Craig. sitting in my grandpa, I remember sitting in my grandparents' kitchen, just like spinning in a circle, waiting for the scene to be over, waiting for him to curse so I could go back in. And sure enough, he says it, and almost on cue, my grandma goes, 
I don't think they should be allowed to watch stuff like this. Oh my golly goodness. And I'm like, all right, we've made it through. And now I may re-enter. And then I watch the rest of the movie. (laughs) The drama in that. That is, oh, dear Lord. Did you learn, did you learn a little bit about who I am as a person just now? No, I knew who you were as a person and I'm not necessarily surprised, but at the same time, I'm like, Craig. And at the same time, I'm like, Craig's grandma, come on. And Dex... I'm going to say as a, f- I would want to drink with Dex. Oh, Dex yeah. seems like a cool guy. I, I, it's, it's, it's also wild. Again, I, I mentioned this during the last Star Wars episode, but seeing the things that Lego Star Wars pulls as inspiration, like Moss Eisley is in one scene in one movie, two minutes of screen time. Yet it is the hub world for the entire first Lego Star Wars game. I'm like, we couldn't have picked a more important place. Hey, you got. They wanted to expand on it, okay? Yeah, it's just cool. Like I said, it's cool seeing like the inspiration and how they change, or how they capitalize on minor details to make like a fun video game experience. It's super cool. Also, I haven't played the new Lego Skywalker Saga, and I don't plan on it for a while. I could talk in a for a very long time about how Lego games are too complex and too densely packed with garbage and filler. And from what I could tell, the Lego Star Wars saga is the same. I'm like, people are just collecting hundreds upon hundreds of nothing collectibles. I'm like, I'm glad the game looks cool and I'm glad other people are having fun with it. But yikes, couldn't be, couldn't be me. I also haven't paid full price for a Lego game. I think ever. Jordan wants me to play it with him. I might, I might dip my toes into it. Yeah, it's super fun. Like Lego games, Lego games are a very good beginner video game because what I've noticed is a lot of people that didn't grow up playing video games, they have trouble moving with one stick and looking with the other stick at the, the same time. Bane of my existence. That is the. That is why I won't. That's why I won't play. <laughs> and Lego games remove that aspect okay you do not have to worry about camera work at all in most lego games love that so it's a very lego games are just in general a very good starter game for that reason also you can't fail a lego game that's what jordan said so you never have to restart a level unless it glitches or there's a bug in the level um which is not uncommon unfortunately but uh it's genuinely if you're looking for a good co-op experience for not having ever played a video game or having very little video game experience, you know, Telltale games and Lego games are the two things that I would recommend. Just something to get a controller in your hand. Yeah. Okay. So transition real quick. Uh, we did mention previously that we thought that Obi-Wan could be kind of a more harsh master but at the same time, Anakin can be a little mouthy brat. Oh my god. Oh my god. And like, it's one of those things where, Obi-Wan, I get where you're coming from, but your abrasiveness is encouraging his rebellion. Yeah, it's only fueling everything he does. And so I think a lot... 
a lot of what Anakin does is just like angsty teenager, young adult stuff. And it's just the problem that the stakes are super high for him. You know, Jedi in general can't afford to be reckless all the time. Like as it, as to be a good Jedi, you need a little bit of recklessness in order to make those tough calls in order to find the out of the box solutions. But the level of recklessness that he portrays specifically in this one, you know, it's a, it's a little too far and I get it. The thing that made me get it where Obi-Wan was coming from is when he starts getting those visions about Shmi dying Mm -hmm. and he just like doesn't even ask Padme if it's okay that he goes somewhere else. He goes up to her and he's like, I'm leaving. Goodbye. I'm like, whoa, Hey, Annie. Let's explain you ourselves. Are, you are on an assignment, my man. And it is awfully convenient that Padme wants to go with you. Just in, like, it is pure convenience. Pure convenience. Absolutely. And if she, and if she hadn't wanted to go, you would have left without her. And you would have just turned to, like, a royal guard and be like, you're in charge now. I'll be right back. And I, cause I know you, Anakin, and I know that's what you would have done. And I'm like, Hey man, I kind of get it. I kind of see where we're coming. But my, one of my, one of my least favorite things about the Jedi order is that they never give these learning people, these learning Jedi, these learning Padawans straight answers it always has to be some sort of riddle or some sort of vague i'm actually running circles around your question answer never once is there just a straight answer given also the jedi council takes a serious because i said so parenting technique yeah i much agreed (laughs) you said it perfectly so when Especially in the third movie when Anakin's like, so I'm on the council, but I'm not a master. Why? And everyone's just like, teehee, because. Teehee, like, sit I down. I would have lost it too. I get it. I get it. I get it. I would have been way more frustrated. Like he reeled himself back in way faster than I would have been able to. And when he snaps, he snaps hard. It may be a little too far, but again, <laughs> that's a future conversation. Oh, um, I have... Something that I'm very passionate about that we'll talk about once we get to the third movie that involves him snapping. Perfect. Um, Camino. Camino? I'm starting to think that maybe I just had a lot of anxiety as a kid because (laughs) Camino was one of those, like, because of its, like, constant storming and, like, the almost hospital type uh, cleanliness inside and, like, almost sterile interior of all the buildings Mm -hmm. like that stark contraction is that the right contrast contrast yes like it it was weird it didn't sit right with me because you have it's not muddy but just like the sopping wet outside versus like the sterile clean inside like i know it was it was an uncomfy juxtaposition yeah it let's not then And then you get to the fight scene where Django and Obi-Wan are trying to hold on to these slippery, slanted surfaces. Oh, God. There's a good alliteration sentence there for you. Like, 
oh my god i it was a cool fight scene don't get me wrong it's just that it was one of those like edge of my seat because i don't want these guys to fall you don't want them to fall i was just worried you don't want people to fall you don't want them to make messes but there they are falling and making messes also, this movie has, like, probably the worst treatment of lightsabers in any movie. Oh, my God. They have no care for their lightsabers in this movie. They're dropping them from thousands of feet in the air. Because Anakin loses his... He breaks his original one, loses the one he gets on Geonosis, and then loses the one he uses to fight Count Duke. I think that might be the same one. Regardless, he goes through two or three lightsabers in this one. And, and like, Obi-Wan is just flinging his around on Kamino. Isn't it like a whole process to get a kyber crystal and everything <laughs> yeah. too? You, you have to fly to an Arctic planet, let's be clear, <laughs> that is like harsher conditions than Hoth, mind you. Go through what I'm going to call a labyrinth of caves and find a kyber crystal that speaks to you. The kyber crystals call out to the Jedi. So going through these caves to to find the kyber crystal that calls out to you, if I was Anakin, I'd be like, anyone else want to come? Yeah, Open anybody casting else? casting call. I'm going to need a few of you. <laughs> I'm just going to get a bucket while I'm here. So it's just really funny. It's one of those things that, like, I don't know if that lore was fully processed when those sequences were written. There's a lot of stuff about the prequel trilogy specifically where you're like, you think about all the stuff that was happening alongside it, specifically in between episodes two and three. What with seven seasons of the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's fun to think about all these little details. Um, also, uh, Samuel L. Jackson sitting there demanding a purple lightsaber, changing iconic the world forever. Amazing, iconic. Cha- changing Star Wars lore just because he wanted one. Yeah, very good. <laughs> just because he wanted one, and they were like, you know what? You're Samuel L. Jackson, so you could have a purple lightsaber. Shmi's death is how I learned that people's eyes don't close on their own when they die. Really? Because uh, <laughs> I, I remember watching, I think it was when I was watching it with my grandparents. And I'm like, why is he closing her eyes? It's just like, because you have, I, my grandma was like, because eyes don't close when you, what? The eyes don't close when you die. Because, you know, the only pictures you see of dead people are like in a casket with their eyes closed. And you just think that's like, oh, part of the dying process is closing your eyes. Nope. And, and, and Shmi Skywalker was the one that taught me that. See, I think I always just knew that even though most kids shows, like if somebody like, you know, dies or pretends to be dead, their eyes are closed or whatever. But my mom watched a lot of true crime stuff. <laughs> what, we're learning about Craig early. Is he, what we're learning about Craig is he took a lot of things at face value as a kid. Hmm. What's <laughs> that say, Craig? That I'm stupid? Yeah. No, no. You know what that really says. So... I think the coolest part of this movie, genuinely the coolest part of this movie, and bear with me, is when Anakin is going on his Tusken Raider tirade, uh, there's a scene of Yoda feeling the disturbance in the Force. Like, because that's the pivot, right? That is Anakin's pivot of only seeing the light side of the Force to accepting that the dark side is a tool that can be used when 
necessary or when convenient. He may not, it may not be said in those words, but him slaying the Tusken Raiders is him channeling the dark side for the first time, really. And Yoda feels that disturbance in the force and ever so subtly in the background, you hear Darth Vader's Imperial March for the first time. Yes. It was And it iconic. is such a cool detail. Such a cool detail. And I'm like, mm, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. One thing that was done right through all of these prequels was John Williams' scores. Knocks it out of the park. Knocks oh it out of the park. Um, okay, this is an am I stupid question, right? So there, there, there's the, the really the only political aspect of Attack of the Clones is the approval of the clone army. And there's this plot where, like, they need to give Chancellor Palpatine emergency power so they can approve so he can approve the clone army why couldn't the senate just like why couldn't the senate have just approved the clone army because wouldn't it be the same amount of power it would take to give him emergency power than it would be to approve the clone army because the 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 everyone in the senate knew the emergency power was to approve the clone army so why not just approve the clone army? Right. Why not cut the middleman out? I, I feel yeah. you there. So it, that's one of those, like, maybe it's a political thing that I totally don't understand. Maybe they needed fewer votes to give him political or uh, emergency power. Or, uh, maybe they, they were able to do it without being in full session. Regardless, it seemed like a hoop they needed to jump through just so they could get the later plot line of the chancellor having emergency power all these years later and not giving it up. Okay, so they were so certain, so certain that Padme, Anakin, and Obi-Wan were going to die in that arena that nobody did anything as Padme was in the (laughs) open unchaining herself. God, I I love that scene so much because it's so silly. Yes. Uh, and, and I like it because it's silly. Um I ooh, I hated watching her get her back clawed. Ooh. It was what I got like sympathy pains from that so hard. But right before then uh, when <laughs> when Anakin's like, "Well, what about Padme?" and Obi-Wan's like, "I think she's got it covered." <laughs> yeah, she is doing just fine. And that leads to a point that I did write down where everyone is like, protect Padme at all costs. Jump cut to Padme jumping through a conveyor belt on Geonosis. You know. Like, don't get me wrong. Padme's a tough woman and she can take care of herself. But boys, you are slack-a-lackin'. Slack-a-lackin', not very good at your job. Uh, um... And then Attack of the Clones does not have, like, a climactic ending like uh, Episode 1 did. You know, there's no Darth Maul battle. The Battle of Geonosis is intense, but only because of the sheer number of players on the field. Yes. Um, you, you also have the Count Dooku fight, but it leaves itself unresolved. You know, it's, it's, it's a very common trilogy problem or a common trilogy pattern where the first movie is a self-contained plot. The second movie leaves a cliffhanger and then the third one wraps everything up. So this one does follow that suit where the second movie is intentionally unresolved. 
So there's a li- it's a less satisfying ending. I definitely agree. It doesn't give you that same kick that the other two kind of give you. That being said, I think this is also a seven, but for, you know, just different reasons. Uh, this one, this one is probably a seven. I'll give this one yeah. a seven. Cool. Weird. Silly. Better than the first. High, high suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Very true. But that's, that's Star Wars. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to share another childhood memory. So episode three came out when I was like a kid, right? Ep- 2007 or something like that. 2005, I don't know. Um, regardless, I, young enough to where I went as Anakin Skywalker for Halloween. And this was, again, Star Wars teaching me a lot about society and culture. Um, I kind of just assumed that everybody knew Star Wars, specifically episode three of Star Wars. So I went as Anakin for Halloween And I had a friend that did like makeup stuff or like a friend's mom did makeup stuff. So she was like, she was asking all the kids, like, do you need makeup? I remember this story. Your costume. And I'm like, no, I really don't. But if you wanted to add a detail, you know, Anakin has like a scar over his right eye. And she gave me that. Except it was like not, it was like a. It was like a sharpie almost. It must have been like like an eye, like an eyeliner pen, yeah, or like just some sort of gel pen, or just straight up a sharpie. And she gave me just like this thick black Frankenstein scar on my forehead, and that matched with the Jedi robes and just kind of what I looked like as a child. A lot of kids were like, "What are you? Fra- are you Frankenstein? What are, are you Frankenstein?" I'm like, "No, I'm Anakin Skywalker." traumatic uh, yeah i am dramatic okay no i said traumatic like that was oh. traumatic for you yeah um so i learned my lesson about asking favors from anyone you just gotta <laughs> do it yourself or show reference pictures um now return what is this one uh, revenge of the sith is what oh. this one is called um, Ooh, this one's my favorite for a couple reasons and i already explained to you why one of one of them were it's because hayden christensen's hot in this one so hot. Um, what i like this is what i really like about going through star wars is in the original trilogy it's like the jedi are a revered warrior class you there are some people that are hesitant about the jedi some people don't really care they're they're like hey we don't like the space cops and but for the most part it's like the jedi are revered and you as an audience member should revere the jedi yes and then in the prequels it's like okay maybe the jedi aren't perfect but like they still are the the goal the end goal the most like you would want to be a jedi and then you get to episode three and you're like, hmm. I mean, sure, they had their problems, but Anakin went too far. But I recognize their problems. And then you watch the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And you're like, do I like the Jedi? Are the Jedi the bad guys? A jab. <laughs> All Jedi are bastards. <laughs> so... And and rewatching episode three after watching the Clone Wars and Rebels, you start picking up on things that's like, 
or Revenge of the Sith, rather. I know he said uh, watching Revenge of the Sith after watching Clone Wars and Rebels. It's like, yeah, maybe I understand why so many planets don't want the help of the Jedi because the masters are abrasive. The Padawans are consistently reckless and rebellious, and there's no middle ground. You, It's like a family bickering with no clue on how to connect, but a, a relationship that is reliant on a connection. Okay, here, I just want to get this off of my chest now. Yeah. Because in the second movie, you have this scene with Annie and Padme where he's like, I had this dream. I murdered all these kids. I hated them. Blah, 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 blah. And then in this movie, she's like, Annie, you're changing. You seem darker, but I know there's still good in you. And yet doesn't think, hmm, maybe we should move the younglings into protection because who knows what's going to happen if my husband gets to them. Yeah, like, there are so many red flags along the way. That are ignored. and they're just like, he's a Padawan. He'll get over it. He's no. just a drama queen. Like, there's good in him. I know that there's good in him. But stop the red flags. So it, it's frustrating to watch the Jedi Council, the council that, like, should be revered, just descend into uncredible. Like, they lose their credibility. Over the course of this movie. And you know you watch TV shows. And they lose it even more. So I, I, I think that watching this movie. With that perspective. Is cool. You don't. So that's kind of the point. That I'm trying to get to at the end of this. Is very few franchises. Can you change your opinion. About the holy figure. So dramatically. And you get to a point where. You kind of understand why episode why episode eight Luke was like maybe we don't bring the Jedi back. Yeah. Maybe the Jedi are better as an idea than a reality. That's one of the smartest thoughts Luke's ever had. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> dumbest dumbest Luke is Book of Boba Fett Luke. If you haven't seen it, no. you're gonna hate you're gonna hate Luke for like two episodes. Oh boy. Uh, uh, because Luke does the same thing. That he just he becomes a Jedi Master again, where he's like, you can't have these attachments, and you need to leave your attachments behind. And he's telling this to a literal child. And you're like, maybe you explain why, and maybe you kind of wean him off of it instead of just cold turkey. But that's a discussion for another day. Um I have lots of Star Wars thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Craig is going to um, have his own episode where he just talks about all his Star Wars thoughts. I still need you there, though, as my sounding board, because I learned that, like, solo podcasting, I can do it. It's just rough. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, just, like, watching the Jedi Council kind of implode because of very preventable things. It's frustrating to watch, but there's also a sense of like, you kind of had it coming to a point, maybe not order 66, maybe not the slaughter of the younglings, but the implosion and the war. Yeah. Kind of. This is their, uh, 
Icarus moment where they're flying a little too close to the sun and then they have to pay the consequences. And there are moments where the Jedi Council even recognizes we don't have the same connection to the Force as we used to. We are feeling the Force connection waver. And their main plan about that is to ignore it and hopefully it fixes itself. Wrong. Incorrect. Um, but this movie has a lot of cool scenes. Um, the opening flight scene, so cool. So cool. I Again, I got super stressed when Anakin was trying to shoot the bug droids off of Obi-Wan's ship. <laughs> Bad idea. Even as a... Even as a kid, I'm like, you could not have thought that would work, right? Like, you have to recognize that was stupid. Um, But after that, it's a very cool... I like vulture droids. I think vulture droids are a very cool style of droid. Um, And the remastered version of these movies touches up the CGI on all the explosions very well. I think they hold up. It's a very cool scene. I hate Um, that Obi-Wan keeps, like, trying to radio over to... R2 and like R2's like shut up shut up shut up they can hear you they can hear you I'm hiding you guys told me to hide and they can hear you but he can't communicate that with Obi-Wan so Obi-Wan's just like R2 are you there R2 activate the elevator R2 can you hear me are you there we need this and R2's just like ah um is Count Dooku not in enough of the movies I feel like for like how serious they made it sound at the end of the second one, him only being in this for like what another ten minutes a f- a fight scene, yeah, like it kind of diminishes that seriousness, like he's not the yeah. big bad guy that they made him out to be at the end of the second one I really w- i i I don't dislike what they do with Count Dooku. I think what would have been cool. And they re- and they don't even really explore this path as much in the TV show as they could have, which is Count Dooku abandoned the Jedi because of the same reasons that Anakin is about to abandon the Jedi. And I think it would have been really cool to have a dynamic of Count Dooku also feeding these ideas to Anakin. Yeah, I agree. Mm. That would have been a really interesting relationship to see fold out. Um, because watching Palpatine do it is fine. And uh, I, it is kind of a little funky how Anakin's closeness to the Chancellor kind of just happened overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Where he was on speaking terms with the Chancellor in episode two. And then in episode three, they're like, hey, since you're best buddies with the Pal- with Palpatine now, you need to spy on him. And I'm like, we are? We are? Okay, I guess. I guess. All right. But, you, you know, when you tell a story at this scale, some things need to be sacrificed. And if the, and if the pacing of that relationship is at whatever, whatever, I don't care. And I feel like Padme revealing her pregnancy was a little underwhelming, more than it used to be, at least. Also, in general, that pregnancy is, like, kind of underplayed because I didn't realize it until watching it now. I will, I don't know if this is, you know, a point of the character or just kind of, like, maybe kind of buckwild storytelling is she does not show at all. Not until like, she's having them. <laughs> like, for having twins, 
She isn't. She's she's so itty bitty. And then the babies come out so big because they definitely didn't use infants. Yeah, it's like here's the here are two six month old babies out of Natalie Portman's itty bitty frame. And I like that they it, they buried her while she still looked incredibly pregnant. Yes. Yeah. She she looked more pregnant post birth. Yes. Yes. And here we get to again. Natalie Portman and just Padme in general being weak in this trilogy because in episode three, she is almost entirely relegated to Anakin's burden. Mm -hmm. And that was frustrating to watch for Anakin and for Padme because she's a housewife now. And it's like, she's not like, she's hardly even a politician. So that that was disappointing, and and I and I don't think it's Natalie Portman's fault. Like I said, her role kind of got delegated. Yeah, but if, when you don't have a lot to work with, it 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 comes across both in acting and writing. So th- that that's kind of my beef with Padme. Act three, Padme of this movie is super cool. Like her confronting Anakin, that is a very cool and tense scene, very engaging, but. The fact that we had to have two hours of almost nothingness from her to get there, eh. 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 She should, yeah, you feel like with how involved she was in the last movie, she'd be much more involved than she is. Like, it's like a switch flipped and then all of a sudden she's just like, oh, I'm just going to let him go as he goes. I know he's changing and he won't communicate with me, but that's just my Annie. Yeah, she puts up with a she puts up with a lot of red flags. Like, girl, do you need a space therapist? I think you might. General Grievous is cool, and that's it. He just in gen- he doesn't add much, right? You could replace General Grievous with any other cool design, if that makes sense. Like, he's an interchangeable bad guy. Count Dooku served a monumental purpose, right? For as little as he was in it, I would say that Count Dooku and Grievous have about the same amount of screen time. Um, but General Grievous just feels like so much more of a throwaway antagonist. He feels more of a roadblock than a bad guy. For sure. Like, there's not as much depth to him as there are the other bad guys within the franchise. And so it's okay to have a bad guy that's just cool. It, we just, it would just be remiss if we didn't point it out. Like, General Grievous serves the same purpose as his bodyguards that still fight when decapitated. <laughs> Very true. Uh, good old, good old Darth Sidious turning from old man to goblin man. That... Hate her, it. it. Ooh, it's bad. Because you look at Darth Sidious in uh, in uh, the Return of the Jedi in Episode Six, and you're just like, "Wow, that is a gross old man," and that's all. Like, it is justified enough to where you can just say that's a gross old man, and that's what gross old men look like. And now I think they just needed to justify how much he aged, I guess, yeah, or how much worse he looks in the. 19 years 20 years that the time lapse takes place and so i guess they solved that by electricity makes goblin man 
electricity make Goblin Man? And also, uh, uh, in terms of, like, we're on the subject of Palpatine, his lightsaber fighting style sucks to watch. Sucks. It's just like, it's not even the fact that, like, the lightsaber fighting was poorly choreographed. It is specifically his fighting style sucks to watch because everyone else's sword fighting is like clash, 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 slash, slash, slash. His is stab, stab, stab. And watching the clash, clash, clash and stab, 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 way less satisfying because it's a lot of just like batting it away, right? The best parts of the lightsaber fights are when it's like a a draw of two people forced up against each other. So when you just watch Yoda kind of bat away his lightsaber like an annoying fly, you're like, this isn't fun to watch. This is in fact bad. I will say that I would have absolutely loved and would have gone crazy if the first time I had seen both the battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan and uh, Sidious and Yoda going on in theaters, like, that would have been mind-blowing. Yeah, the Mustafar fight scene. Can I say top three lightsaber fights? Top three. Top three lightsaber fights. Just really cool. It slows down a little bit when they start climbing stuff and like they have to use like the lava rope the lava droids or whatever mm-hmm. like that kind of kills the pace of the fight but that's okay because the fight is about to change into something else Ooh, uh so but, intense i mean like there's an iconic shot and it's iconic for a reason of their lightsabers clashed up against each other high above their heads with the lava plumes exploding behind them like Beautiful. A- and with and with Duel of the Fates happening in the background, Ugh. you know, t- tying it back to the first big lightsaber fight we got from this trilogy. It's chills. Genuine chills. Where's the nut button? Where's the nut button? Smack. Nut. There you go. That's how you we feel about it You knew I had that here. within arm's reach. <laughs> I ha- Mine is somewhere around here, but I don't think it has batteries in it. But I need to keep it by me for these specific moments. I... Will be if I don't have my nut button lock stocked and loaded, uh, put me in a home. <laughs> the scene where the mask, oh, yeah, the, scene. the mask clicks into place, and you hear that first mechanical inhale also chills. Chills, and then it's ruined by, dare I say, the worst no exclamation I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a fan of that one. <laughs> That that comes a little after because, you know, then it cuts straight to Padme and Obi-Wan and them being like, oh, we don't know why she's dying. We think it's just because she lost the will to live. And I'm like, mood. Me too. (laughs) Um, There are lots of deleted scenes from this movie that I'm, I don't know how I feel about them being deleted. I'm very bad when it comes to watching a deleted scene and be a being like should this have been deleted because a lot of deleted scenes are purely for pacing right Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily add anything like there's a scene of yoda arriving on dagobah that got cut um there's uh more jedi executions during order 66 um more by specifically anakin anakin kills a few jedi that that they cut um and i think about that like did these 60 second scenes need to be cut? Like there are some where it's obvious where I think about like 
how the Joker scene got cut from the Batman and it's five minutes of a character that, that doesn't come back. And I'm like, okay, this obviously everyone knows it's okay that this scene got cut, but Yoda arriving on Dagobah might've been nice to see. Cause he talks about it. Like I need to go into exile. I goofed it real bad and I'm, and I am in so much shame. I need to leave. Exactly. And watching that happen might've been a little nice. That's that's that covers everything I have to say about this one. Um, oh, I mean, this uh, th- I do want to say, like I said, after watching all the TV shows, it is kind of just it's interesting to watch all this stuff happen and be like Ahsoka's running around somewhere here the whole time. Somewhere in the background. And just think about all the characters that um, d- aren't even mentioned because they haven't been conceived yet. Um, it- it's just a. Uh, it's interesting to think about all that stuff. And, oh, also, hey, notice how we didn't talk about the clones at all <laughs> during two movie discussions uh, that heavily feature the clones. It's because that's about how important they are to the grand thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they execute Order 66, but, like, it doesn't feel like a betrayal from the clones. No, not not I, really. I dropped my phone. That's my bad. Um. And, and it's more of a betrayal from Anakin than the clones. They're just the they're just the machine. You know, to us, if you don't watch the TV shows, they're machines. They don't feel like people. So when they get the order and betray them, it's like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> I expected this. I expected this. I would have expected nothing less. Huh, gosh, yeah, that's kind of everything I have. Oh, one last thing. <laughs> I love how during this prequel trilogy, it's the most like, oh shit, we forgot to explain force ghosts. They just <laughs> because tack it on Yoda, at the end. Because Yoda has that line where he's like, hey, Obi-Wan, before you go to Tatooine, um, Qui-Gon discovered immortality and I am going to teach it to you. Okay, see you later. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I got one more lesson. Uh, It's this... Little thing, this like force ghost thing. You might have heard of it. You probably haven't, but like you gonna learn. But uh, you and gotta go. It's wild that they phrase it the way they do and give it such little importance as they do, because the whole reason Anakin turns to the dark side is for a quest for immortality, and Yoda just kind of <sighs> mentions it briefly offhanded at the end of the movie, and the way he phrases it as immortality it's like why didn't you bring this up sooner my guy like that's where you really goofed it a lot of this that's that's where you really goofed it and it got to the point i genuinely had to look up why does yoda say immortality specifically kind of feels like a big bomb to drop at the end and all the and like all the reddit posts were like yeah he's talking about force ghosts it's kind of shoehorned and very poorly worded, so I understand why you're confused. So, it's not your fault. I'm like, okay, thank you. Woo! And it makes you think, how did Anakin learn this inner invulnerability? Because there's no way Sidious taught it to him. Right. Like, but, you know, again, suspension of disbelief. We got to shoehorn some of this stuff in. So, what are, what are you writing this one? What a great question. This one... I don't know. It's it's weird watching this one. This one is the weirdest to watch. I don't want to say it's the worst to watch. It's the weirdest to watch. This one Just kept me most engaged. I will say that. Yeah, there, there's so many different elements coming at you with this one. There's a lot of payoff 
for a lot of things that you kind of didn't realize were being set up. So, God, I maybe want to say seven and a half feels still like a lot. I almost want to give it like seven and a third. That's kind of how I feel. Unconventional, but I think I think I'm gonna do that. I think I think I need to land this on seven and a third. Yeah, that's that's like seven and a half feels like too much. Seven feels like too little. So you know, like somewhere in between there is where it kind of falls. But yeah, it it's it is. There is an argument. I saw this argument online. Not maybe not an argument, but just like a point being made, where the prequels are bad movies but good star wars and i would be inclined to agree on that um if you don't have any investment in the star wars franchise episode one is rough to get through if you are not like same thing with a new hope we brought that up last time where if you do not have investment in this franchise a new hope and phantom menace are kind of slogs good luck. and then you have a better movie that establishes relationships adds uh plot dynamics and then you have the third one that pays everything off and if you're able to like get invested in anakin as a character which you know the first two movies kind of a coin flip if you don't get invested in anakin as a character i don't blame you Mm-mm. It's, and so the the third act payoff is only as satisfying as your as your engagement into Anakin as a character. I feel that I definitely agree. So I, did we give the original trilogy or did we rate the whole trilogy? I'm not sure, but I mean, I'll tell you right now. I'm pretty sure I rated a New Hope seven, Empire eight. And Return of the Jedi 9. So mathematically, if I didn't give that original trilogy a flat 8 as a score, I, I goofed up somewhere along the lines. Yeah. Um, this and, one definitely so gets it, a 7. Yeah. This is a flat 7. This trilogy is a flat 7. Um, God, I have, I have literally zero expectations going into the sequel trilogy. I know I'm going to have fun with Force Awakens because Force Awakens is just a new hope but better. You know that I'm going to have fun with the sequel trilogy. Last Jedi, I know I like. I just, I didn't love it, but I liked it. And then Rise of Skywalker, I understand, is the most controversial yeah. Star Wars movie, I would say, ever. Absolutely. Because because Rise of, or uh, The Last Jedi is divisive, but I wouldn't say it's controversial. Everyone has their opinions on it, and they're divided on it, but, like, it's whatever. Rise of Skywalker people in the streets about that one people in the streets but we all know that i'm gonna have fun with that one yes definitely but we're not watching that next month no we gotta tease you a little bit we gotta rope you along a little bit and next month we're doing book nostalgia month now not book nostalgia like the hunger games or harry potter no no we're going into we're talking about like the books you read in elementary school that were probably assigned to you or you watched the movies in class to kill time. We're talking we're talking Hoot. We're talking Zathura. We're talking Holes? Bridge to Terabithia and we're talking Holes. The fourth one. Holes. Ooh. It's ooh, I'm excited about this one. 
This is gonna be a good one. We've had this one planned since we started the show. We it was literally like, <laughs> what do you want to do after Twilight? Nostalgia book movies? None of those are streaming. Let's wait until we can save up a little bit to rent four movies at once <laughs> before we do that. And I'm like, all right, fair, valid. And now we finally come around to it. So here we. Oh man, we understand it's a little bit of a Josh Hutchinson fest, but oh, that's true. It really the man, is. The man had a niche and he fit it well. Truly, he did his best. Well, I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I am tall. Thanks for joining us for our discussion about the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And we'll see you next month for our Nostalgia Book Movie Month. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.